Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and talk to the people who create these games. Now, we have had a deluge of requests of late uh, to go back to the well, so to speak, and talk about one of my favorite games, that being Bolt Action. And so we are back with yet another episode. Now, we're trying to come at Bolt Action in a slightly different way than a lot of the content that is out there currently and has been done previously. Largely, when I'm saying previously, I mean stuff that I've done in the past. So in that vein, today I have a very special guest, one of my old buddies uh, who came on to help me with the Japanese not too long ago. We are going to explore another minor nation in World War II, but in the process, we are going to dig into uh, one of the most uh, prolific forces as far as numbers of troops on the ground in World War II that wasn't one of the big powers, but one that we almost never see on the tabletop, and we'll explore why that is and uh, possibly how to do some list building and some of the history around it and yeah, just dig into the Romanians. But if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need a little hand from someone who has definitely been in the trenches, so to speak, with the Romanian models from all over the world. Of course, I'm talking about Jordan from my buddy from Scale History SLC, that's Salt Lake City. Jordan, man, welcome back to Cast Dice, brother. How you doing? I'm doing so good. So good to be talking to you again. Now, of course, Scale History SLC is your Instagram page. And on it, brother, let's just start by my saying I'm loving the Romanian models you are putting on there, particularly the conversions, um, because you have been making plastic conversions of great coat Romanians that just look awesome. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's a really fun project. And I'm sure we'll get into it more later, but oh, yeah. it's uh, it's a great way to build out a Romanian army uh, budget-wise and just kind of uh, ease of production-wise. Definitely, definitely. Well, as I sort of mentioned a minute ago, Romania is one of those armies that we just don't see on the tabletop. Now, of course, you're in the United States, and my accent aside, I'm in Australia, and I have to say, I think I've seen one Romanian army in anger in all my years of playing bolt action. It's just not something you see. And I think part of that has to do with up until recently, there weren't a lot of companies that made models that worked. Now, yes, we've covered that on an entire episode of Cast Dice, where Pete West and I went through how to find appropriate models for each of the minor powers. And we will go through where to find great Romanian models at the end of this episode, and I'm sure we'll mention it throughout. But I think in Romania's case, that has absolutely been a factor as to why people haven't been playing them, right? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think there is the, uh, like you said, getting a hold of miniatures is, um, has been more difficult in the past. It's getting better now. Um, and then I think there's a uh, historic side of um, 
Romania not really being in contact with Western ground forces. So right. th their their history is not as much uh, presented to those of us in the West. Um, but yeah, I think once people actually start digging into Romania's history and their capabilities, I think they'll be very surprised. Absolutely. And I would say, not to disparage my homeland terribly, but as an American growing up, um, I have a history teacher for a dad. I spent a lot of time in history classes in high school and in university. I don't think I ever heard the word Romania once. And of course, if you go to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, which is one of my favorite museums in the world, um, I realized after I went through with my Scottish wife, who pointed out, you do realize there is exactly one picture of Soviet troops in this entire museum. And I went, wait, what? And she went, yeah, it's the one where they're shaking hands with the other allied troops in the middle of Berlin. And went, oh, wow. I guess I didn't even realize that the eastern side was covered that sparsely. And a lot of the information from parts of this up until recently haven't really been in English, have they? So it, it makes researching this difficult at times. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, preconceptions about how uh, World War II was fought. Uh, and as we distance ourselves from the 1940s, some of those things are starting to become more clear. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I know of only one book that is solely focused on Romania's uh, involvement in World War II. That's in English. And copies of it right now are going for about 150 U.S. dollars. Uh, so it's not the easiest research material to get your hands on, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, I'm going through the same thing with Finland uh, and the Continuation War. Lots on the Winter War. Not so much on the Continuation War uh, in uh, English, although at least that is a lot easier to get than Romania. Well, Jordan, I'm going to butcher the history of this, so why don't I throw this to you? Um, can you give us some some background on Romania's role in World War II, in particular, why they switch sides? Because, like Finland, they do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. Um, but I guess the start of this would uh, be the end of World War I. Uh, Romania acquires... Uh, some territory to their northeast and in Transylvania um, along Hungary's border uh, because they were allied with the uh, the allies in World War One. Uh, so you fast forward to the beginning of World War Two, and they're still allied with France and Britain. And they see in 1940, France get defeated very quickly. And Britain basically says, we're just going to take care of ourselves right now. Yeah. That's all we can do. So uh, really, Romania is just in a tough spot. Of they are uh, facing annihilation if they don't uh, side with Germany. Um, so uh, there is a king in Romania, uh, but he is very young. And so he's kind of a, a, a puppet, more or less, to uh, Marshal Antonescu. I think mm -hmm. that's how you pronounce that. I think so, um, yeah. <laughs> Someone can correct me for sure. I know I'm, I'll butcher it, but um, uh, but he is a fascist-leaning uh, dictator, and he decides to ally with Germany. Now Germany uh, starts to promise them more territory, uh, especially after uh, they lose those territories they gained in World War One. Um, so Romania is very focused on gaining that territory back. 
So uh, in 1941, uh, Operation Barbarossa happens where Germany invades the Soviet Union and they ask for troops from Romania uh, and then a couple other countries, of course, Italy, Hungary participate. Um, but Romania actually ends up sending more troops than all of the other uh, Axis nations combined, except right. for Germany. Um, so their their part in the Eastern Front is is huge, uh, which is crazy that we don't know more about their involvement here in the West. But it's um, not just that, though. I mean, I mean that is symptomatic of something else, though, which was that Antonescu was. I mean, he was more fascist than some fascists. Um, than you know, some even some Germans went, "Ooh, that that might be a little too fascist." Uh, and some of the uh, Romanian fascists that sort of put him into power, uh, the Iron Guard, were, you know, the gold standard of fascism, I suppose. Um, and even the Nazis went, "Yeah, that that's a bit much, guys. Can you dial that down?" Like this is pretty. <laughs> these are not nice people. <laughs> Um, but Antonescu was sort of the nicer fascist, um, and but he was uh, such a devotee that um, Hitler was quoted as saying that Antonescu was the only foreigner who he would consult on military uh, items or military strategies. Um, so they were very buddy-buddy and close, which um, you know absolutely contributed to Romania contributing so many soldiers to the Eastern Front's cause uh, and why they were so prolific on the battlefield. That's a really good point. Um, they also, I guess, were very competitive with Hungary, who is their rival from way back when. That's right. Uh, so they wanted to make sure they were sending more troops than Hungary. But also Romania had oil and grain uh, that Germany desperately needed to... Uh, you know, fuel their war efforts, especially in the East. Uh, so they played a huge role that just, that wasn't just uh, the amount of troops they sent. Um, so 1941, uh, they start taking back territory that the Soviets um, had took from them. Uh, there's a lot of fighting in a region called Bessarabia, mm -hmm. uh, which is Northeast Romania. Um, and then they continued pushing on uh, towards uh, Odessa and Sevastopol, uh, just very uh, brutal fighting there. Um, and then they were on the outskirts of the city of Stalingrad uh, during that uh, famous battle, uh, really just guarding the flanks uh, with the Italians and the Hungarians. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, as we all know, the Soviets started pushing back in 1943 um, so the Romanians, along with the Germans and the other Axis nations, were pushed all the way back. And once the Soviets started coming up to the Romanian border is really when there's a lot of uh, uncertainty in Romania about the war effort and whether they had chosen the right side. And a lot of people uh, in Romania, especially King Michael, who we mentioned earlier, who mm -hmm. was kind of the puppet king, um, really started leaning towards uh, leaving the war, leaving the Axis powers and siding with the Allies, really just to preserve Romania as Germany was being bombed um, and destroyed. They saw the writing on the wall, basically. Mm -hmm. 
so August 1944, uh, King Michael leads a coup that removes Antonescu mm-hmm. from power. Uh, and then they immediately flip sides. And so the Romanians, who were their allies one minute ago, are now turning their guns on the Germans um, and basically submitting themselves to the Soviets as far as uh, the war effort goes. So uh, they're just in a, in a very interesting position all the way through the war. Um, more or less, uh, you could say, guided or coerced by these bigger powers. Um, but they did manage to save their country from complete destruction by the end. It's true. And if you think, well, you know, am I? how often will I actually see these on the bolt-action tabletop? Well... Obviously, as Jordan just mentioned, the the Romanian forces did fight in and around Stalingrad, particularly around Stalingrad, um, while the Germans actually fought the city battle itself for the most part. But a lot there's been a lot of interest in playing out battles um, described uh, and laid out in the in the Fortress Budapest book, and of course the Romanians were fighting on the Soviet side. In that conflict, so they are absolutely a force that you you can um, very easily put on the the bolt action tabletop and not feel like you're playing in some weird sideline conflict that wasn't part of the bigger world war. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. If uh, if you decide to, to build a Romanian army, it's a, it's another very versatile army because they fought from 1941 all the way through to 1945. Um, and then, of course, you have the added variety of they were both Axis and allies, depending on which part of the conflict that you're representing. Um, and all of that equipment is there from beginning to end as well as, right. uh, as German and Soviet weapons and, and uniforms. And so they, they really just offer a, a great variety and uh, a lot of opportunities for cool armies. So does that why you picked up Romania? Why play Romanians? Uh, why I personally chose Romania is kind of a funny story because you mentioned the Fortress Budapest book. And when I got really serious into bold action, that was kind of the first campaign book that was released uh, as I was coming up in the in the hobby. And I grabbed it and I wanted to actually build a Hungarian army initially. I had never really heard anything about Romania, honestly. And a friend of mine who I was going to be playing the campaign with had actually already purchased some Hungarian miniatures. So then I looked through the book again and I started seeing all the, the different offerings for Romania. And as I started learning about them, uh, became much more interested in their, their story and, uh, their armed forces. So, uh, it kind of happened by accident. Um, but I'm very happy it did. So why play Romania? Um, in bolt action, again, you have, you have a, a, a force that has a lot of variety and also a lot of, I guess you'd say like multiple uses in the way of, if you have troops for 1941 operation Barbarossa, more or less, you can use those same troops for, uh, Fortress Budapest in 1944-1945. And for myself, I'm lazy when it comes to painting. If I can (laughs) paint paint up one army that covers all of that ground, 
can be allied or axis uh it's a no-brainer for me <laughs> yeah man um, it, it's really nice to have an army that works in multiple theaters uh because it then allows well if you're you're gonna try and play historically it gives you a chance to use that in in multiple battles right but also um you know it it really does open up gaming and scenario opportunities yeah absolutely and then we mentioned um the fact that they used a lot of German and Soviet equipment, either stuff they captured or were handed down to them. Uh, and the rules actually allow for a lot of that, um, that equipment use, especially armored vehicles and stuff. So again, just a lot of variety, a lot of interesting ways that you can build your force. And uh, if you're someone like me who enjoys putting unique armies that aren't often seen on the mm -hmm. table, Romania is a really great option. Now, I also have Romanians. Now, I've had Romanians for a little while, but I actually have been, they've been sort of a, one of those in-the-corner-of-my-eye army lists that I've been looking at for quite a while, and I actually had con compiled a fair number of photos of uniforms and weapons uh, a while ago that I was planning to use to convert the, at the time, brand new Soviet great coat models. And instead, I ended up doing Japanese great coat models as my big great coat army. And originally, though, because I saw pictures of the Romanians with those crazy, um, tall, uh, fuzzy, not fuzzy, um, hairy, what do we call that? Fur? They're like, Fur they're like a wool hat. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're very distinctive looking. Well, I happen to be able to sculpt those. And so I thought, I'm going to sculpt, and I'm just going to use my sculpting skills, and I'm going to make an army of these guys. I'm going to sculpt all the hats. Well, I ended up doing the Japanese instead because I had a real hankering for the Japanese army. And in the process, I sort of let the Romanians go. Um, I just think it's really funny that years later, you had the same idea with yours, and you are doing the same, using the same models to make the same army. And so I think that is why, in particular, I love your army idea. Because it was like, yes, that's a great idea. I wish I did it first. But I didn't. I ended up doing the other ones. But yeah. Because they're very versatile great coat models. They're, it's, yeah, they're great. Yeah, what's what's cool about the the Romanians is you can use either the the Soviet winter kit mm -hmm. or the uh, the German winter kit, which is what I, I have started with so far. Um, again, like those great coats can kind of be generalized. Mm -hmm. um, the Romanians had their own version, but soldiers on the battlefield will grab whatever they can to to stay warm and to protect themselves from the elements so that you could have them in, in Soviet or German overcoats as well. Um, and then again, they would have used a lot of the rifles and some machine guns from either side, again, captured or handed down to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, 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 it's an easy conversion that doesn't require a whole lot of, of sculpting weapons or, or finding them elsewhere online or, or and grafting them in um really the big thing for me is finding those romanian helmets to put on their heads <laughs> now you said you found those uh, you found someone who was able to 3d print them for you yeah so i got them off uh, shapeways mm -hmm. uh, which is uh known to be expensive as far as buying mm -hmm. uh 3d prints goes um but at least for shipping here in the u.s 
um, purchasing, say, a warlord box of, of winter Soviets or winter Germans on top of purchasing the helmets from Shapeways. I think they come in uh, 20 packs, so you get 20 at a time. Uh, the value there, it, it's still cheaper than buying the same amount of miniatures in metal. So you're still getting a better value even with buying the Shapeways heads. Yeah. Yeah, I was tempted to do something like that with a couple of different projects. But am I weird? I may be one of the only people who's going away from plastic back to metal. Um, I'm looking at metal for for a Soviet project at the moment. Only because I think I like the depth of detail. Maybe it's because my eyes are going. Uh, But yeah. But man, having the versatility of plastic really does make army creation a lot easier, right? Definitely. And it's it's just more obtainable for most people, I think. But yeah. I'm actually with you. I actually prefer metal, um, but found the opportunity to do these plastic Romanians, and it's been a fun project, so I jumped on it. Yeah, well, you're, you've been festooning them with you know, Panzerfaust and gear. And so it really, they don't just look like bare bone plastic. There's a lot of stuff on there to, to paint up and really make those models sing. So yeah, they look great. Um, let's, let's talk about getting started with Romania. Let's say sure. that you're a bolt action player and you like, cool, how do I get started with this? Well, obviously you're going to need the army, the army list for Romania, which is in the armies of Italy and the Axis book. But you definitely want to get something else as well, right? Uh, what would you recommend, Jordan? Uh, you definitely want to pick up the Campaign Fortress Budapest book. Um, it's a fantastic book overall, not just for Romania. Um, it's one of the best it, campaign books, it, hands down, right? I would vote it for the best. But yes, it's very, very good. Oh, it's so um, good. The, the history and how the scenarios all interweave into the history it's fantastic yeah brian Um, cook knocked it out of the park yes he did kudos to you brian so yeah so italy and axis is going to give you your basic list but what fortress budapest does is gives you some units that are uh really going to give you uh, a good punch Mm -hmm. when it comes to playing bolt action on the table not to mention it's going to give you a specific uh, theater selector that's going to let you run your Romanians as allies. Um, so what uh, Fortress Budapest offers for the Romanians is a couple different squads of infantry um, that are available in a generic platoon. So depending on where you are, if you're playing an event with the new Warlord um, tournament rules, it, it, it kind of depends. But a lot of events I have seen is they're allowing generic platoons uh, with units from any book and so the the units in fortress budapest are available to you in a romanian generic platoon um so that's a um a uh, a mountain division section mm-hmm. and a uh, combat engineer section and especially those engineers are going to give you access to a flamethrower mm-hmm. and multiple smgs which you won't find anywhere else in the romanian uh, army list so those are pretty vital i would say Plus, you also get the TACAM 2 tank destroyer, which actually, you know, is while similar to the TACAM 1, which is in the original book, does give you a little bit more versatility because you are basically putting a Zist 3 in the back, which, as we know, has both the anti-tank and the howitzer capabilities. So, yeah, a little bit more versatility there. 
not to mention it looks cool so it's it's very cool and again very unique if you put one of those on the table i would be surprised if your opponent knew what it was so yeah that's always fun for me exactly well let's let's dig in a little bit shall we um what would you now actually before i go forward there is a little bit more information about romanians in the is it in the stalingrad book am i making that up uh yes i i believe they have another theater selector i think it's a armor division yeah um and there and they have one or two units included in there um i do not have the book in front of me but um you can find more units in the Stalagrand book for sure. All right. Well, let's dig into Romanians from the Axis side. Let's start with the sure. Army Special Rules. Now, we have the French Artillery Doctrine. Now, this basically gives you a free gun. You get one free, inexperienced, or regular artillery unit. This can be any anti tank gun or heavy field artillery piece, or sorry, field artillery piece, except for heavy artillery and German artillery so but that is only out of the options available to the army list so basically from a howitzer perspective you can get light medium or heavy for free Um, you can also get uh, just about everything in the um, tank anti-tank gun list as well although it doesn't look like you get the rosita because that is the heavy anti-tank gun um right yeah so what do you think about this rule i mean getting free stuff is always good now if you think about the the free soviet list where they get 12 free inexperienced with an smg or sorry with an lmg we're talking what um a hundred and something points roughly a hundred yeah right and then the free observer for the british roughly a hundred um, mm-hmm. If you even look at the free British squad, uh, if you're playing Sikhs, for example, where you get the the regular Sikh unit of 10 guys, that's about 100 points. This gives you something a little bit more. But de- well, it depends on which gun you pick. But if you pick a heavy artillery piece, for example, that's a pretty good deal. If you get it at regular, 115 points gives you that little extra. Not to mention, um, I think what you see in a lot of Romanian lists, and maybe you can tell me if... If you've seen this on the table more, but hypothetically, uh, a lot of people talk about Romania being great because they can take multiple guns. So you get your free gun and then you can take another gun that you pay for. So you could end up with a heavy artillery piece um, that you take for free and then maybe you could buy the Rosita and then get your heavy anti-tank gun. Or if you're playing uh, in a place where heavy artillery is a big deal, you could end up with multiple heavy howitzers in your list and one of them's free. Is that basically what you see or what you envision seeing here, Jordan? Yeah, it's a, it's a very strong way to run a Romanian list. And I think people maybe glance over uh, the fact that not only is it a free artillery piece, uh, but you kind of alluded to it. It doesn't go against your, mm-hmm. your standard platoon selector. So you can still take another uh, Romanian howitzer or anti-tank gun in your list and you've got two right there uh now we'll talk about the their other special rule um but you could end up running three artillery pieces uh in one list one platoon um 
which is very very strong it is uh, so i i played a tournament recently actually where uh, i took my romanians and i ran uh, two medium howitzers so the the free one mm-hmm. and then uh the uh, just your normal medium howitzer in the the standard selector um and they they were basically my mvps for all three games um what i managed to do with them was i put one on each corner on my deployment side and then uh you can get spotters for both even the free one you have to pay the 10 points but you can get the spotter mm-hmm. but then you crisscross the spotters so each it's gun has everywhere right <laughs> visibility of most of the table and so most of the table is uh threatened by medium howitzers and especially when those hit infantry units they're no joke um so it's a very strong way to run a list and not a lot of armies have the capability to put that many uh, artillery pieces in a single platoon um and so it's a it's a very attractive (laughs) uh prospect when you're looking at a romanian army now, I do want to talk about a couple things in there. Up until recently, if you took the bigger guns, you would also need to take an artillery tractor of some sort. And unlike the Germans, who don't really have a cheap alternative uh, to maybe some of their bigger toes um, that allow them to you know, pull the big guns onto the table like the 88, those can be very expensive. Now, obviously, in the most recent FAQ, yes, they said that you could move a gun onto the board if it's a mission that doesn't allow you to normally do that without a tow, but that can leave the big guns out of position. Now, you can always get the old mule tow, um, which lots of people do because it's dirt cheap and it gets it on the board, but uh, Romania does have uh, artillery tows for 15 points regular, 12 points inexperienced, and it's a soft skin that can tow any gun onto the table. And you know, they're slightly more durable than the, the old horse toe. If you're looking to have something that's a little bit more survivable and perhaps keep that order dice, that might be an alternative. I, I really am not a big fan of painting horses, so I'd probably go with the uh, artillery toe there. But it right. is nice that they get that nice toe, even though they don't necessarily need it. But I do like the idea of being able to redeploy a gun, particularly an anti-tank gun, depending on needs now of course moving something mid-game isn't great because you're losing a turn of shooting but if opportunity or situation necessitates that you are able to move it plus extra order dice right but the other thing and something that i'm sure you'll talk about is the romanians also have a great anti-tank option in that their squads are able to take panzerfaust both when they're axis and when they're allied So that is quite the boost. Now, I've talked in the competitive episode of Cast Dice recently that, I mean, Panzerfaust really are a bit of a game changer uh, in that they they are a hell of a deterrent. And, you know, no, they don't always hit. uh, And they're not perfect. I understand that. Yes, they're short range. And there's a whole list of things that say, you know, these aren't maybe the saviors of all things. But they do give the squad um, anti-tank grenade capabilities. And, you know, tanks do sometimes think twice before coming close. Um, they can be more psychological than actually um, useful, if that makes sense. Uh, sure. But I love having Panzerfaust in units, and this is an army that allows you to do that. Yeah, I, uh, you can put one in each of your Romanian infantry squads. Um, 
And the key word that I think he just said uh, was deterrence, uh, because you're right, they are short range. Uh, they do have a knack of not always hitting when you you usually have multiple modifiers coming against you when you're right. firing them. But it does force your point your opponent to make different moves because now they're not just avoiding your anti tank gun with their tank, but they're avoiding your infantry squads as well, or they at least have to to, to process that information when they're making uh, you know a choice on the table. Um, and for five points each, it's a no-brainer, right? Uh, to just slap one on onto each of your infantry squads, and uh, and when they hit, they hit hard. So mm-hmm. you definitely have a, a lot of capability there. Now the army lists do say ten points, but they did FAQ that in case you were wondering. Yes. Um, and I know yep. that is something that I mentioned a long time ago that there were ten points, uh, but yes, they are five. It wasn't the FAQ. Thank you to everyone who reached out and reminded me of that. I did forget. Now, the other thing is Panzerfaust, as you mentioned, there's only one. So they are more of a deterrent than something that you might use more successfully. Oftentimes, um, when I've seen Panzerfaust on the tabletop, it's in a squad that you might see two or three. So there's more chances of hitting, uh, and it just leads to a little bit more reliability. So this is probably not the most reliable anti-tank option, but when you're combining it with some of the other things, even if you're taking the howitzers, if those howitzers hit, uh, especially if you're opening um, your lanes of fire by having spotters crisscrossing the board like what you were describing, you really can put the pins on tanks, um, and that can really, you know, either put them out of put them out of action totally, depending on how many pits, you know, pins you can get on them. But it can also just force people to take a turn to rally, which in and of itself is useful because it means they're not using that vehicle for the turn. And so many missions in bolt action are objective based. So yeah, throwing pins on vehicles, forcing them to take a turn to rally can really make or break a game depending on what kind of impact those vehicles are having on the game. Just by forcing them to not interact for a turn, it can give your forces an extra turn of breathing room, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And at least from a, a, a slightly more competitive standpoint, I would always I would recommend taking two howitzers over maybe a howitzer and an anti-tank gun. For that reason, I know when we talked about the Japanese, we talked a lot about um, putting pins mm-hmm. on your opponent's units. And like you said, the howitzer is kind of multiversal in that. I mean, it does have a plus three penetration value, um, which is OK. But the fact that you can hit a tank and put multiple pins on it and then either keep it from uh, passing order tests or forcing it to rally for a turn uh it's almost as good as knocking a tank out completely. So when you combine that, especially if your infantry units have a Panzerfaust in them, um, or you do have the option for a Panzerschreck too, so you can have a lot of weapons out there mm-hmm. uh, kind of working together, uh, putting out pins and then dealing with armored threats as you come across them. Well, let's talk about the other national rule. Now, you mentioned it before, access support. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, the access support rule is a fantastic rule. Uh, so what this rule is going to give you is a German unit. Uh, it's not going to count towards your normal platoon maximum, which is a huge bonus. But basically, it's mm-hmm. going to be any German unit, uh, an infantry unit that's not veteran, 
uh, or a tank that's not a, a damage value of 10 plus or 11. Uh, so no King Tigers, no Tigers, unfortunately. Um, but the big thing with this rule, again, kind of like with the, the free howitzer, is that it doesn't go against your platoon maximum. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said earlier, if you wanted, you could take the two howitzers plus a German artillery piece, a howitzer, a Nebelwerf, or whatever you want. For, yeah, <laughs> it, but you can do it, and it's an incredible amount of firepower. Um, but the way that I have run this rule uh, most often is I'm a big fan of tanks, uh, and I'm a big fan of crappy tanks. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so what I, I like using this rule to run two tanks in my Romanian army. And so, um, of course, that first tank will be uh, what's available to the Romanians. So there's a couple ger German options in there, but um, just for fun, I like to run little uh, French R35s. Um, Which are terrible tanks. <laughs> they're not great. And the most recent FAQ made them worse by moving their hull machine gun to the turret, um, which is historically correct, but... They, yeah. they were nerfed a little bit, um, but they're fun. They are armored all around, armor eight. Uh, so they're a little tougher to deal with, but um, they're not dishing out a lot of firepower. Um, no, let's go through this, shall we? 155 sure. points regular, light tank, turret-mounted, low-velocity anti-tank gun, one-man turret rule, uh, low-velocity anti-tank gun, which means it's got a uh, lower penetration value and it's slow not and great. it's slow yeah not Ooh. great not great but very flavorful uh the romanians had a bunch of them and they mm -hmm. actually use them all the way up through 1944 which is crazy but yeah. uh, they're out there um but they also can run a uh i believe a panzer three um panzer 38t which are are pretty decent tanks. yeah those are cool uh, little tanks so right yeah, they're great. And you can run those with your Romanian selector and then choose a German tank uh, for your Axis support to go along with it. And so um, another fun way I like to run that is is, is choose a tank uh, in both those slots that's going to fulfill a specific role. So one mm -hmm. will uh, target infantry. Uh, one will deal with enemy armor, if you, especially if your howitzers and Panzerfaust and Panzerschreck aren't already doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, that's two tanks in a single platoon. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the lieutenant tax we call it to try and get two tanks on the table. Exactly. So if that's something that that is exciting to you, it's it's a really good prospect. If I can be the flip side of that coin, I love this as well because I also like adding units to the what you would normally be able to take in a reinforced platoon. But for me, I always like going with more infantry. So it allows me to take a sixth squad in a generic reinforced platoon, which allows me to have more units to run around the board, grab objectives, and generally be a nuisance. So for me, it would just be I'd probably just take a generic infantry regular squad because they can't be veteran and uh yeah just have some fun with it yeah absolutely and they're going to come with their german special rules mm -hmm. as well and it would be another fun thing to and it gives you the opportunity to do some fun modeling you know if you're tired of painting romanian uniforms it gives you a chance to paint something else for a couple of minutes it can be one of those nice palette refreshers in the middle of painting 
a wall of brown or khaki or whatever that you happen to be painting that day. Yes, exactly. And on top of that, if you're uh, not excited about chopping off a bunch of heads to convert uh, into plastic Romanians or purchasing a bunch of metal models, a German squad could also take up some of that army space. Right. And they're usually easier to acquire and you can get them in plastic and it just kind of, it, it's a, it's an easier entry point. Exactly. Well, those are the two national rules that we see for Romania. So let's talk about what you actually get in the list. We have our standard officer. We have the medic. There are artillery uh, observers possible. Um, you can't take an air observer in this list. But what you can take are there's a limited number of infantry squads, but they are somewhat versatile compared to some minor powers list. We have an early war infantry section, which is regular. You can't take it as inexperienced or as veteran. Um, you have an NCO and six guys, so seven dudes total. Now, what's interesting here is the NCO is armed with a submachine gun. It starts with it. Everyone else has a rifle. So we're talking right. 73 points for that unit because 10 points a model plus ASMG. And you can take up to seven additional dudes uh, for 10 points each. You can have a light machine gun for the standard 20 points. You can give the NCO a rifle for minus three points because it gets rid of the SMG's cost. And you can take anti-tank grenades for up to two points per man. So no Panzerfaust on this. Uh, however, if you did want to play an earlier war version, uh, particularly going up into Stalingrad, I think this is the unit entry that you would use. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have 14 men squads is nothing to right? uh, ignore. You know, that's still a lot of guys on the table. Um, and if you're taking the SMG away from the NCO, you're going to make it that much cheaper. And they have access to the light machine gun, which I know people have a lot of opinions about, but it is four shots at a longer range. Uh, so they are they are pretty versatile, especially for early war. Absolutely. And as we go into the later war, there is a late war infantry section where it's the exact same thing at regular, or you can take veteran in this case. Um, again, the NCO is armed with an SMG. Again, it's seven guys. Um, and of course, the price goes up if you take veteran. Uh, again, you have the option for a light machine gun. Again, you have the option to take the NCO down to a rifle. But now you can take up to three additional dudes with SMGs. So you can take three of your generic riflemen and give them SMGs for three points each. And you can add one dude. You can give one dude a Panzerfaust, as you said, for five points. And again, you can give the entire squad anti-tank grenades. But why would you do that when you can just give them... Anti-tank grenades, the rule, or tank hunters, because if you have a Panzerfaust. So, yeah, makes a big difference. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. And the big thing there is the multiple SMGs. Absolutely. Uh, is, is very helpful. And then the Panzerfaust, of course. Because it gives you not, I mean, a lot of people who I've spoken to about this list in the past say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just a regular squad or a veteran squad with three SMGs. No. It's four SMGs because the sergeant already has one. So it's right. three additional, which is a tiny nitpicky thing. But I happen to like SMGs a lot, and I like squads that are able to mix match uh, SMGs for close assault and having some rifles for to throw out long-range pins as you're advancing. And I think this squad is great for that. I really like this squad because it gives you the opportunity to take enough SMGs to have the teeth 
uh, to get close up and personal. But I also like that you can either, if you're playing more defensively, which is sometimes what those guns, if you know, if you take multiple big guns, that might be the way that you play. And if so, you're able to stand behind cover and shoot out at long range, particularly if you take an, S or an LMG and then you have some rifles, you're throwing out some pins. But as they get closer, that firepower just ramps up exponentially. And, of course, SMGs give those guys um, the tough fighter rule, so you do get to re-roll. Um, you get extra dice for every hit you get in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And as we know in bolt action, hand-to-hand -hand combat is king. can be really unreliable, but damn is it uh, brutal. So exactly. these guys really have the ability to be an all-around infantry unit. And, uh, man, I just love that. I would agree with you on all those points. And then just adding the fact that you can take them as veteran if you wish. I know a lot of people just swear by taking veteran infantry mm -hmm. and you do have that option with this squad. And unlike some of their other infantry sections, you can still have 14 guys in a unit mm -hmm. in the squad. And I think that's a, 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 a aspect of bolt action that gets passed over quite a bit is Agreed. full, full size squads. Um, you get that little extra uh, buff and it's rerolling your uh, failed order test. Mm -hmm. I believe, or morale test. Um, yeah. But then it just makes that unit so much more survivable. Yeah, man. And they're, they can be brutal, especially if you have a squad that large that's veteran and you're able to park it in or around a, an objective. They can be yes. really hard to shift. Now, of course, you don't want to just... Let me be clear for those of us. Um, the more you play... I should say, the more you know, you really don't want to be parked on top of an objective in bolt action for a couple of turns because then you just turn into mortar and howitzer indirect fire bait as people just slowly yep. range in and destroy your squad. But if you are you know, close to an objective, if you're moving around, and then you're able to get to that objective at the end of the game, shifting you off that is going to be a bastard of a task. And it probably won't be successful if you're able to get, you know, 10 to 14 veterans in one squad on one objective, getting them off is going to be almost impossible in one turn, um, bar a direct hit from a big gun. Now, making sure that they're still that size at the end of the game, well, that might be a little harder because they do have quite the footprint. No, that, that's a really good point. And again, with if you've got SMGs in that unit and they're on an objective and your opponent wants to try and for some hand-to-hand -hand combat, they're going to have to deal with SMG-toting veterans, which with the um, uh, with the extra attacks they're going to get. They're just they're just such a solid unit choice. Exactly. Now, for those of you who do want smaller squads, and there are people that do, um, we have the motorized infantry section. Now, this again gives you the option for regular or veteran, and it's an NCO and four guys, so it's a five-man small squad uh, and then you can go up to five additional men so you can go up to 10 again it can be regular or veteran again the nco is armed with an smg everyone else has rifles again you can downgrade the nco's smg to a rifle for minus three points you can have a light machine gun and you can have one panzerfaust in that squad but no additional smgs other than the one on the nco so while I think the only thing that this gives you that the late war squad doesn't do for you better 
is that if you want to take a, a, a five-man squad. I think that is literally the only reason why you would do this. Otherwise, I would just use the late ward infantry section because it gives you the exact same options with a little bit more flexibility as far as gear goes. I think my takeaway with this unit is it might be a, a, a nice uh, transition unit, especially if you're coming from like uh, a German army. I know a lot of German players like to to pack their squads with the multiple LMGs and um, have a lot of firepower. It's oh, there's two SM, There's two LMGs in the squad. Two I misread LMGs that. So there is something different. I apologize. I missed that. Good point. Um. I don't know how I feel about putting two LMGs in a single squad myself, um, but I know that there's a lot of people that that play that way, especially with their Germans who can who can take that much firepower. Um, and it is that is eight shots at 36 inches from a single unit, not to mention the rifles that uh, you'll probably have in that unit as well. So, Absolutely, uh, it's it, it's definitely an option to consider, especially if you're coming over from like a German army. Yeah, man. In a lot of my forces, uh, as I mentioned in the com- how to build a competitive list uh, episode, I like to have an anchor squad. I like to have a squad that has, you know, a couple more guys than maybe some of my other squads um, that I can put sort of near the rear to defend my own objectives um, that mm-hmm. can move around and, you know, can adapt and take out enemy as they come closer. I think this is a great squad for that because not only do you have the Panzerfaust, but as you say, you have the two LMGs. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's probably not the most efficient thing in bolt action, but this is a great squad for giving you some options. Now, you're probably not going to want to do the close assault um, the counter assault with this squad into someone else, unless you've really taken them down a, a peg or two with your firepower. But this is a great anchor squad. I don't know if I'd make an army out of them, um, unless I was specifically theming it around, you know, motorized infantry squad sections historically. But if we're talking from more a competitively standpoint, I do like the idea of having one of these with a couple of LMGs. Again, don't throw rocks. That's how I like to play. Um, but yeah, this does have a role. I, I totally missed that had the second LMG. Yeah. Put them, put them in the table center where they have a lot of field of view, or like you said, keep them back, uh, holding your objectives. I mean, again, eight shots at 36 inches. Like it, it'll at least make your opponent think about coming close to them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now it should be mentioned at this point while we're talking about in a, in, inefficient things that people hate. If you take a medium machine gun in this game, uh, sorry, in this list, you it is a German machine gun. So you actually it actually gets Hitler's buzzsaw. So while the Romanians don't get that national rule, their medium machine gun does. So I, in, in mentioning anchor squads, I do like to have an anchor squad with a few things around it uh, to, yep. to dissuade people to coming towards my objectives. Again, if I'm forcing everything into one platoon, which I sometimes do, or if it happens to be an event that makes you play with one platoon, that's when I usually take my medium machine gun team. Because rather than t- spending 50 points for a second lieutenant, which I'm not necessarily going to get as much out of to to get some more infantry squads. Well, this allows me to have six infantry squads to start with, which is my sweet spot. And I get this extra machine gun. If you're able to deploy it away from snipers so that it is an instant sniper bait, having that extra shot, 50 points, 
put it next to your motorized infantry squad, that can be a hell of a deterrent if someone's coming in from outflank. Put them on ambush. Come at me, bro. That's a lot of shots at a at a long range. Um, so yeah, that's a really fantastic option for for holding the line or holding your objectives. Um, and kind of even on the hobby side of that, um, they were given a lot of German MG34s, mm-hmm. and it's maybe one of the reasons why they get this uh, this special rule. And so if you are using the plastic kit, the the German kit from Warlord Games, mm-hmm. MG34s are already on there, and you don't have to feel bad about equipping your Romanians with them. It, it works out really well. Totally, man, totally. And again, that will really give you a little bit more, you know, spice when army building as far as modeling and painting wise to give you a little bit more variety to the way your army looks, which is cool. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the cavalry section. Now, this is six or an NCO and five guys. Uh, everyone has rifles. It's 72 points regular, 90 points vet, basically 12 points regular, 15 points veteran. You can give them a Panzerfaust for five points, and that's it. Now, Romanian cavalry was not trained to charge into battle. Rather, it acted as a mobile reserve or pursuit unit. Romanian cavalry units may move into contact with enemy units while mounted. On the other hand, they do not suffer the minus one leadership when arriving from reserve. So these are more of a support rather than assault unit. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I think that's actually a, a typo in yeah, the it is in the army. But yeah, I have an old uh, book too, so I think it got yeah. fixed in later pressings and in the FAQ. These guys cannot assault unless they, they get off their horses, right? Which is what a lot of people are drawn to when they think of cavalry. Um, so you're not getting that ability to do an 18 inch charge with them, uh, but you can come on the board, come mm-hmm. from reserves or outflank without the minus one. And I think what these guys would really be effective for is getting somewhere on the board quickly and, and, and holding, I don't know, an objective or even with that Panzerfaust getting up behind a tank quickly. And then you've got a Panzerfaust there uh, to try and deal with it. Oh um, yeah. So they're going to be much more uh, of a mobile force. Um, Maybe less hard-hitting in the way that most people think of cavalry, uh, but very mobile for sure. Hell yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about a unit that you mentioned before, which is the Combat Pioneer section. Now, of course, this is the first unit that we're talking about today that isn't in the Armies of Italy book. It's in the Fortress Budapest book. Uh, and this is uh, a regular squad or a veteran squad. Again, we have our NCO and six dudes, so the minimum size is seven. We see that again. And again, you can take it up to seven additional guys. Um, With these guys, they all have rifles. But the NCO and three additional guys can have submachine guns instead of their rifles. So just like the late war squad, up to four guys can have SMGs. One can have a light machine gun. One can have a Panzerfaust. They can take anti-tank grenades. So, so far, this is sounding exactly like the late war squad, except, right. as Jordan mentioned before, one guy can have a flamethrower, another guy becomes the loader in that case, and they can take mine-clearing gear, which I believe is a, um, a scenario-specific uh, rule and doesn't ma- actually make any difference on the bolt-action tabletop otherwise, but this gives you your engineer squad, where you do have your... Uh, built-in flamethrower, which is definitely a lot harder to get rid of because you can't just 
insta-kill it because it's two dudes. Not to mention, I don't believe the Romanians have a flamethrower team otherwise. Is that correct? No, they don't. And that's why this is such a, a huge addition uh, to the Romanian army, because this is your hard-hitting squad, right? This is mm-hmm. the squad that you put in a truck. Uh, that flamethrower is going to uh, take care of infantry and vehicles, armor, um, alike, especially when it forces that morale check. So uh, I think once this squad was introduced to the Romanian army list, uh, the Romanian army list became like a full army list, if that makes sense. They have all the tools now um, to compete with the other bigger armies. Yeah. Well, let's quickly talk um, some of the uh, other small additions before I get to the rest of the infantry squad. Because you're right, they don't have the full spread that all some of the other major nations have. Um, for example, they only have a medium machine gun team option. They do have a Panzerschreck option. But um, we see a Panzerschreck, we see a sniper, we see light, medium, and heavy mortars, and that's it. So they don't have um, some of the anti-tank options as far as anti-tank rifles that you might often see in Eastern Front armies. And you also don't have air observers, which we mentioned before. So it is a little bit more limited. I think it, it really did come down to them not having the gear uh, though they had tons of soldiers in the field, uh, they were often waiting for uh, gear from their allies, both the Germans and then later the Soviets. Yes, they did have a lot of things, but no, they weren't fully geared up as much as they were promised at times. Um, so it, again, that gives you the opportunity to add some German submachine guns, some German rifles, um, some German light machine guns to your force um, to give you a variety model-wise, but it also gives you the opportunity to put in some some older type weapons that you may not have seen in other places. Is that how you built yours? Yeah, exactly. I I love having variety and making unique units and, and armies. So being able to, to give them a German or a Soviet rifle or... Uh, submachine gun, LMG, any of those options are are pretty much historically viable. Um, I know I've mentioned this a couple times, but some of the that equipment was given to them from the Germans, but a lot of it they just had to take from the battlefield because, like you said, they mm-hmm. they were just constantly underarmed and 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 waiting for new equipment, and their uh, their industrial capacity wasn't up to to par with the other big nations. So that's right. Um, Gives you a lot of options for variety and for making unique armies. Well, let's jump back to, speaking of a unique unit, let's jump back to the last unit entry for this book. And that is, again, this is out of the Fortress Budapest book. We have the Mountain Division section. Now, you have expressed how much you really like the Pioneer Squad. I really like these guys. This is this yes. is where I'm hanging out. Um, it's a veteran squad. You can't take these as regular, unlike the other lists. It is, again, your NCO and six guys, so it's seven dudes. Again, it's rifles. And yes, you can take an additional seven guys. Um, but w- And again, you can take your NCO and f- um, three SMG guys. So again, this is feeling very much like the late war veteran squad. Again, you have one L- uh, LMG, and again, you can take one Panzerfaust. What makes these guys different is they are one point more expensive than regular veterans, and they have the Mountaineers rule. Now, this unit treats all rough ground as open ground. 
Now, the players should discuss and agree before the game if the gaming table includes some terrain that they think this rule should not apply to, like water features. But, damn, like how many <laughs> bolt-action tabletops are covered in piles of rubble and trees? Right. These guys... Forget it. They're they're running through it. Now, when I used to play Partisans, and in the first turn, they got to ignore terrain when they were running through it, that was unbelievably beneficial to getting into position. These guys just do it all the time. I the whole love game. that rule. Uh, and that really makes this this unit, especially in a competitive standpoint, you know, it, I think it, they also are very cool historically if you want to build an entire force of these guys but competitively damn i love this yeah it, it's a great rule and I, I mentioned a little bit ago that i played in a tournament recently and the whole theme of the tournament was city fight so oh. rubble ever rubble everywhere it was the main feature of the, of the event um and in the rules we were playing i think they're in most of the the city fight books like like fortress budapest or stalingrad uh, the rule for running in rubble is six inches plus a D six instead of your normal guaranteed 12. Uh, so running for objectives, it's a lot of, a lot of unknown there. And these guys were fantastic in that, that event. Cause they didn't have to worry about that. You just run them through everything. Um, it's a, it's a super solid rule. Not to mention again, you can have a squad of 14 of them. They'll be veteran, mm -hmm. uh, very tough to deal with. And then again, from the hobby side, these guys had a very specific uh, beret that they would wear mm -hmm. to, to signify them as mountain troops. So again, it's just a really cool modeling opportunity. Uh, and like variety is the keyword of this podcast, I think, but yes. uh, adds just a really cool flavor to your Romanian army. Well, let's, let's talk artillery. So as mentioned before, they have light, medium and heavy options for howitzers. Um, you can have a light anti-tank gun, uh, you can have a medium anti-tank gun, uh, and you can take the Rosita, which is a heavy tank uh, anti-tank gun. Uh, now, you can also get a light automatic cannon from the anti-aircraft guns, uh, and that pretty much sums up all of the options. Um, they don't have the option for a super heavy, um, but m most minor nations don't. So you do have some some flexibility there. Now, as you said, the tanks do get a little limited. Um, if you are going just out of the army list, the Renault is the only tank they have available to them. Although if you go into some of the theater selectors, they do talk about some German tanks in the form of the, um, the Panzer 35T, the Panzer 38T, the Panzer 3N, the Panzer 4 EFGH, the Stug. 3G, uh, and Panther A and G, and according to this, they also have access to the Triple Two and uh, yep. the 223 armored cars. But again, that is going through theater selectors. So if you are playing in Warlord uh, sanctioned events that it is a reinforced platoon, you definitely want to talk to your TO to talk about what vehicles you have actually available to you. Uh, in this event, because tank-wise, they have one, and it's the Renault otherwise. Um, likewise, uh, tank destroyers, they do have the TACAM, which I mentioned before, which is a tankette that's open-topped, and it has a medium anti-tank gun facing forward. 
uh, that is 115 points regular. Um, you can take it as inexperienced or vet. Or you can take the TACAM 2, which is literally the same thing, except it's got a hull-mounted forward medium machine gun, and it's got the Zist 3 medium anti-tank gun on it, which means you can also fire that as a light howitzer. That goes up to 140 points, so it's 35 extra points for that machine gun and the ability to fire the medium machine gun as sorry, a medium anti-tank gun as a light howitzer. I personally own two TACAM 2s, but I have yet to paint mine. Um, Jordan, you've mentioned quite a few different options for vehicle-wise. Have you run into limited vehicle availability because of event rules, or are you just taking vehicles from the German list? Uh, so the events that we've run here have been open to theater selectors, which is really good for yeah. Romanians. Um, again, the last tournament, I, I ended up taking the uh, 222, which mm -hmm. is a great little armored car. Love it. Um, if you're if you're looking at the army list from uh, different viewpoints, I guess, uh, if you're allowed to run theater selectors, that access support rule will really allow you to take anything that you don't have access to. So say, like you said earlier, they don't have access to a super heavy AT. If you feel like that's something you need to run, uh, you can use the uh, the access support rule. Now you've got an 88. Um, if you need a, uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you, rolled your eyes at, at, you rolled your eyes at the multi-launcher earlier, but if you need a, a Panzerwerfer, <laughs> uh, you can take that. Um, you can to to supplement what you're missing in the Romanian army um, list. But then, if you are playing with those warlord rules where it's generic platoon only, um, again, that access support rule, while it, it it won't allow you to add a second vehicle, maybe that you're looking for, it's going to let you have more options uh, to pick something that's more more durable, puts out more pins, machine gun shots. Um, so if you are running the, the generic platoon, uh, you may have less options, but it's not like a lot of minor nations where you have no options, if that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. And as we talk about the Allied version in a minute, those armored vehicle options do significantly change, although that is based around... A theater selector. So again, you definitely need to talk to your TO about what they'll allow and what they aren't um, if they're playing the Warlord standard rules. Although, like you, I, I don't know of anywhere around here that is actually doing that. Um, but yeah, it's always a good idea to have a chat with your TO anyway. Uh, but again, if I, I would, if I was playing in the Warlord sanctioned rules, I would take the TACAM 2 uh, and I would take the um, I, I would probably actually take that and then I would take six infantry squads, but that's just me. Yeah, well, let's do, shall we get into the allied version as well? Because they are significantly different, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's a very exciting list. So if we go to page 156, uh, sorry, 155 in the Fortress Budapest book, there is one reinforced platoon and it is um, allied Romania, or that, 
1944 Allied Romanian Infantry Division Reinforced Platoon. So it's basically a reinforced platoon for the Allied side. Even though it's in the theater selectors, it is basically just a new set of units that you can take in a basic reinforced platoon. Now, the, the notable thing is it replaces all of the national rules. So you lose your free artillery piece. You lose the option to take access uh, units. But what you do get is a rule called Stalin's, uh, sorry, Stalin's cannon fodder. And what that means is you, if you take up to three regular or inexperienced sections, um, you can get a fourth section for free. Now, you'll notice there haven't been a lot of inexperienced sections mentioned so far. Um, right. So I think it's more regular. But before you think, oh, that's not nearly as good as the free artillery piece, if you're taking three large regular Romanian squads, you get a fourth free one that matches your the, the cheapest of those for free. So depending on how you are kitting out your forces you can actually get some some pretty nice bang for your buck here if you like running bigger squads. Is that how you read it too, Jordan? Yeah, for sure. Um, I have heard a little bit of confusion on the on the wording of it. It says four every three uh, Romanian regular squads. So um, it is interesting to think about how that might work with dual platoons. I think it would be oh. tough to get multiple free squads in there. Um I'm sure there's a possible way to do it. Um, but yeah, I think this is the biggest difference between uh, this allied selector and the axis selectors that we've talked about previous. Um, if you have free reign to choose whichever theater selector you want, depending on an event or just a, a pickup game you're at, um, it's really going to come down to what makes more sense to you. Would you rather have the f uh, a free squad or a free gun? Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I guess the, the, the vehicle and the artillery options do change a little bit as well, and we'll get to that in a sec. Um, now, there is a red army support section, um, which means you can take commissars in your list, plus there are additional units that are added into this list that you can take as part of your reinforced platoon. And one of those includes an air observer. So it does give you more options. You no longer have the option for a heavy mortar, I'd like to point out. Um, and infantry squad-wise, because it is late war, you are limited a little bit to late war infantry sections, mountain division sections, and combat pioneer sections. So <clears throat> the best squads. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you can take one artillery piece. Um, there is the option of a light artillery piece. So you do, you lose the option of being able to take medium and heavy howitzers. However, the anti-tank gun section blows out considerably. So you have the Rosita heavy anti-tank gun that we mentioned before. You can take the Soviet 45 millimeter, um, anti-tank gun, the ZIS-2, the ZIS-3, the A-19, that big bastard gun, um, yep. or the BS-3, again, another big gun. So if you want to go anti-tank gun heavy, this is definitely a list for you, um, at least of options. However, if you're looking at howitzers, not so much. Um, you do have the option, though, of not only a light automatic cannon, though, you can take a Soviet heavy automatic cannon, which is not normally an option in the regular list. Um, does this change the way that you build your army at all? If you've played, have you played these as allies? 
I have, I have, uh, and I'll be honest, I, I chose this more on a rule of cool mm. uh, decision making process. Um, but yeah, again, it, you're gonna lose probably you're gonna lose that free artillery piece. So uh, in my mind, your artillery choice has to be a little bit more. Um, maybe thought through, I guess I would say, mm -hmm. but you do have access to some big guns. I mean, that the a 19 field gun, awesome. you, like you said, it is a monster. Mm -hmm. It's a monster gun. Um, that gives you a lot of firepower. And I would point out, um, having an, a heavy automatic cannon, uh, auto cannons are kind of breezed over. I feel like, right. Um, They're so in good. Action. Oh, uh, I, I mentioned I took a two, two, two in my mm -hmm. tournament list. It did wonders for me against yep. infantry, against lightly armored vehicles, and especially with the range on those. Um, it's a 48-inch range for the light automatic cannon. I don't know off the top of my head the heavy, um, but they can reach out and touch things, uh, touch units, Yeah, usually without being able to be fired uh, back at. Mm -hmm. So uh, an often overlooked choice that I would, I would uh, say is better than people think they are. Yeah, having been pulling my Soviet models out, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm looking at making a Soviet army possibly to go to CanCon this year. Um, and I realized I not only have an A19, I also have a heavy, uh, heavy autocannon. And so yeah, I've been sort of looking at both going, which one do I want to take? Oh, that would be cool. I could take either one. Uh, and so it's been sort of a little war in my head of which one I want to take because I'm trying to keep to one platoon. But uh, we'll see what actually fits um, my historical theme because I actually do want to properly theme it. I'm not just taking a competitive list per se, but um, I, I am, yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to what can I do more interesting things with uh, modeling wise. But yeah, it's going to be fun regardless. Uh, and stay tuned, sure. guys, because I'm going to be talking about that shortly. But, man, howitzers, I mean, not howitzers, um, autocannons are so underrated in this game, and they are great. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the other vehicles. Uh, now, as far as tanks, tank destroyers, self-propelled artillery, and anti-aircraft vehicles, there is a list, and you can pick one from the following. We have the TACAM-2 from before, but now we have available because of Soviets, uh, we have the SM-76, sorry, the SU-76M, we have the T-34-76, the T-34-85, the OT-34, the old romantic favorite, that the flaming T-34. Um, we have an Lend-Lease M4A4 Sherman, and uh, both the 75-millimeter version or the 76-millimeter version. So there is quite the variety of vehicles that you can pick from, uh, which more than makes up, in my opinion, of the disappearing um, howitzer options. Man, there's some cool stuff in there. I am looking at all of those, I think, as viable choices. Yeah, I, I really like all of those. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a couple thoughts. Um, again, like you said, all viable options for sure. Um, I think I, I'm looking at it in a way of maybe someone has a Soviet army with some vehicles already and they're interested in painting Romanians. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to save you time painting a tank model <laughs> uh, if you already got some Soviet ones ready to go. Um, 
again, makes that transition into like a, a minor nation, just maybe a little bit easier for some people. Um, but yeah, those are all great tanks. Uh, I personally really like the 76 Sherman. Mm-hmm. Um, again, people have a lot of opinions about heavy anti-tank guns on tanks. For me, it's just the fact that having a 76 millimeter Sherman in Soviet colors is super cool. Yeah. Uh, I love having that thing on the table. I, I get a lot of second looks because mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking it's oh, it's an American Sherman until you see the red star on it. They go, what is that doing there? Mm-hmm. So uh, all about the unique army choices. But these are all solid tanks yeah. um, that are that are great in their own uh, their own rule set. Yeah, I think it depends on what else you have in your list, what your game plan is, what your theme is. But I, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those. Um, yeah, there's just some oh, a lot of versatility in there. Um, now, what interestingly, the transport and tow options gets a little weird too. Now, you can take a transport for every two infantry units. You can't take one for every, but you can take a transport for every two. So you know you can't put everyone in a truck, but you get the option of putting people in a truck, which is good. But I would like to remind folks that the miscellaneous truck options, largely in the Italy book, don't have the media machine gun option, unless they added that in an FAQ later. Um, so, for example, I know I've seen a couple of Finn players with the uh, MMG trucks floating around, and you're like, yeah, actually, they, they can't take a media machine gun on a truck. Right. S- sorry, guys. Um, that isn't how that works. Um, now, I did mention earlier, right, that I really like the option of taking an artillery tractor for a couple extra points than the old uh, horse tow. Well, if we look at the tow options for the Soviet version, it's only the horse tow. They lose the option to take a, a proper artillery tractor. Um, now, for each art- Soviet artillery unit, um, you can take a Soviet truck, a Soviet half-track truck. And uh, a Komsomolet, which I am a big fan of, which is the... But, of course, that doesn't tow the big guns. That just tows the little guns. Uh, but the Soviet trucks do get the medium machine gun option. So it depends on how you're going to configure your list here, gang. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of fun options in here. Now, there is one last rule that we haven't touched on, which is... Um, Romanian and Hungarian rules engaged in assault both count as having the fanatic special rule. So it not only benefits your Romanians if you're fighting against a Hungarian player, but it also uh, helps the Hungarians as well um, because they hate each other. Now, again, that's only when they're engaged in assault. So that is important. It doesn't count towards shooting. Um, But I, I should go back to say, though, that if you're taking the Soviet units that we've mentioned um, they do get the great patriotic rule from armies of the Soviet Union book um, while we're talking special rules. Now, these feel very different, even though we're talking about a similar list of core units, right? The, right. the fact that the, the national rules change significantly and some of the vehicle options change significantly and some of the support options change a lot, these feel very different. Now, as you mentioned earlier, if you're not really a fan of you know, I really don't want to paint another army of infantry, which is exactly where I'm hanging out at the moment. One of the things that draws me specifically to the Romanians is that you get two armies in one. 
Um, I love painting tanks. I can paint tanks all day. So for me, painting a couple of artillery pieces, painting up a couple of more vehicles, and all of a sudden, Bob's your uncle, you know, my Axis Romanian army turns into an allied one. Sure, I'd probably want to paint a couple of more infantry guys with maybe a slightly different handful of maybe variety, maybe some Soviet submachine guns instead of German ones, maybe mix right. things up a little bit, right? Just so it looks a little different. But you don't have to do that. And you basically get two armies for one. Is that how you see the Romanians? Because I feel like that's a massive draw to this army. Yeah, it's one of the, the biggest benefits for them, I believe. And uh, again, especially if you're unsure about choosing a minor nation in bold action, um, the hobby side can definitely be easier, like you were just saying. Uh, that transition from either like a German or a Soviet army, uh, when you can use those same units, uh, it makes it a lot easier. Um, but also, it, it really it gives them flexibility, and it also gives them a lot of firepower. Like these are some fantastic units in mm -hmm. both army lists. Um, and I think a lot of uh, the minor nations are, are typically pretty undergunned uh, and struggle a lot, especially with anything late war. If you're mm -hmm. talking like a tournament setting, um, Romania has a lot of those bases covered. And again, with the hobby side of it, you have so many options. If you're someone that likes variety, uh, not painting the same thing over and over again, you got all the options right there. Absolutely, man. Well, shall we dig into the models to make this army? Yeah, let's do it. Now, we have talked about this, as I said before, in the the episode of Cast Ice, where we go back through um, the different model companies that make miniatures to represent the minor powers on the table. Pete West and I do, I think, a pretty exhaustive look at that, and I think we do a pretty good job. But though Pete and I own some of these models, Jordan, you've actually sat down and painted all of these models. So you not only have seen these in hand, you have firsthand experience. And sometimes, let's be honest, when you look at a model and you say, wow, that's great, or oh, that's not so great, and then you sit down to paint it, your opinion can dramatically change um, as the model actually takes on that paint and comes to life, so to speak. Uh, at least <laughs> that's been my experience many times where like, yeah, this looks fantastic. And then I go to paint it. I'm like, oh, God, this is a nightmare or eh, <laughs> this is OK. Uh, and then go, wow, I really like painting these. For example, I know that some people I roll uh, at some black tree design models. Um, I happen to love painting their Soviet line. I think they're some of my favorite models to paint. They may not be the most detailed in, in, in parts and they do look a little dated at times. But damn, I love painting those models. And to the point where I'm like, maybe I should paint another whole army of those. Um, so you would be a good person to talk to because you've actually painted all of these. So Jordan, I'm going to hand over to you. What are some of the companies that make these and what are your experiences with these models? And then we'll wrap up with an overall, what would you recommend for people going in? Uh, start us off, my man. Where would you start? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, of course, the majority of the miniatures you're going to find for Romania are in metal. Again, mm -hmm. some people don't mind. Some people really hate that. I personally love metal miniatures. Mm -hmm. uh, your first option, and I think if you're okay with metal miniatures, probably your best bet is going with Great Escape Games. Um, not only do they have 
the biggest line when it comes to Romanian miniatures. They basically have two complete lines of Romanian miniatures uh, in both a summer kit and winter clothing. Um, for me, it's kind of the best place to start. It's a little bit of a no-brainer. Almost everything you need is available right through Great Escape Games. Um, if you're someone that is worried about how different manufacturers scale up to each other, you really don't have to if you're just going with Great Escape Games. And they have every, almost everything you would need um, infantry-wise. They have a ton of artillery. Uh, they have those Tacom tank destroyers that we've talked about mm -hmm. um, that I don't really think you can get anywhere else outside of some 3D prints. Um, their selection is really great. Uh, so I think that's the best place to start if you're just looking to to get an army together quickly that scales well together. Um, the miniatures themselves, um, I'll preface, all the miniatures we're going to talk about tonight are fantastic for the table. Um, when you're in the middle of a game and there's that, that three feet of distance and you're not necessarily seeing all the details of the miniatures, all of these manufacturers are great. Um, great Escape Games, I would, I would say they are a good quality miniature. Um, I'm not sure how old the sculpts are uh, because I've seen some really, really great stuff from Great Escape. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some stuff that um, maybe I'm less excited about. Uh, their Romanian line seems to be about in the middle. Um, but their quality miniatures to paint up. They look great on the table. Uh, Scale-wise, for the metal miniatures, uh, I'd say they are a little bit on the bigger end. Um, they blend very well with Warlord Games miniatures. Their metals, especially. Um, we'll talk about the plastics, I think, at the end of this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but they're, they're a great place to start. So if you're looking to get into the Romanian army, I would definitely start there with Great Escape Games. Can I add something? And I have quite a few of their models as well, though I got largely Crusader models since um, Crusader and Great Escape Games are very similar. Are they sold through the same website? No, they're not. Maybe they are. I can't remember. Um, I wasn't sure if they were linked. One's through North Star. Anyway. Uh, it's been a while. Sorry, guys. Uh, low sure. sleep. However, um, you did mention in there that the TACAM is only really available through them. There is an alternative. Um, Mad Bob Miniatures, old friends of the show, do make the TACAM too. Um, they also make the Panzer 35T, and they sell the A-19, which we mentioned, that big anti-tank gun for the uh, Soviets. And they have mm -hmm. a variety of howitzers, early war ones that were used uh, by the Axis uh, forces in uh, by the Romanians in World War II. So if you're looking for some relatively cheap, without crew, artillery pieces and or the TACAM, Mad Bob is your man to go. And of course, that's madbobminiatures.co.uk. Uh, um, but yeah, please continue, yeah, the sir. The Mad Bob stuff is great for sure. Mm. Um, so you brought up Crusader. I did. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Crusader. Uh, I love these little miniatures. They're great. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I would say scale-wise, they're slightly smaller than my Great Escape Romanians. Uh, again, on the table, it's not. There's not enough of a, a, a difference uh, in my mind to to not put them together in mm -hmm. an army. 
Uh, one thing I really like about Crusaders, is I feel like they they have a good uh, middle ground between good dimensions for you know the size of the rifles, the the hands, all that kind of stuff you would you would look at on a miniature, and they also seem pretty durable. I don't know if people think about that uh, often, but mm-hmm. they're kind of they're stocky, they're solid. Well, no, I've dropped miniatures and watched them explode before, mm-hmm. and I just feel like Crusader um, Crusaders are really good middle ground between looks the part, but also I feel like they could take some real punishment. Um, but the detail on them is pretty good. Um, they paint up really nice. Uh, they are. This is a very very nitpicky thing. Uh, their helmet is missing the crest that's on the front, mm-hmm. um, which I, I thought was an interesting omission because there's plenty of detail on the rest of the model. Um, again, it's not really a big thing. If you are into those very minute details, uh, they are missing. Um, but Crusader is solid. Would definitely recommend them. Yeah, I again, big fan of the Crusader stuff. I have a lot of their models for this army. Um, they're the lion's share of the Romanians that I have. Again, as you say, they are slightly stocky. Um, a couple of those guys you might even call rotund, um, which isn't something you often see in a World War II miniature. But they are, as you say, very sturdy. The detail is nice. Um, I've spent a lot of time looking at them, thinking about how I'm going to paint them. I've not actually painted them yet, so I can't say that I put brush on model. But just looking at the level of detail, it's a nice level of detail. Um, you can really get a lot out of those. I would recommend them. I like them a lot. Uh, but they do not have the best detail compared to some others, do they? But as you say, they might be a little bit more durable. Uh, should we go into something that's a little bit more detailed? Yeah, absolutely. So these are my personal favorite, just aesthetics-wise. Uh so Suba Miniatures has a, a small line of Romanians that I, I believe now is uh, distributed through Empress. Mm-hmm. Um, these are fantastic. <laughs> uh, just the, the sculpting quality and the detail on these. I mean, these might be the best detailed metal miniatures that I have owned um, across multiple armies. I can't say enough good about them. Uh very detailed they paint up really well um the poses are great or dynamic um i think probably the two things that hold these miniatures back uh for one the line is very small Mm -hmm. so i think i think you can get two packs of riflemen which is eight guys there's a four uh a four-man command section uh, a four-man smg section uh a four-man LMG section, and then, uh, I believe, a a medium machine gun. Um, So it is really limited, especially if you're someone who cares about variety in your models and not having a lot of the same pose. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that bugs me a little bit. And so that's unfortunate. I wish they had continued this line because they really are fantastic miniatures. Um, They scale really well with Great Escape Games. they they look good next to crusader of course um they are slightly taller than crusader and some of that extra detail looks is is very uh noticeable when you have a suba miniature next to a crusader um again in the middle of a game none of that really matters no 
I know I know myself, I just see a blur of infantry mm-hmm. and I'm not seeing the helmet crest, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, but again, if you're if you're someone who cares about those things, uh, that could be something to consider. And also, uh, we talked about Crusaders' durability. Um, the rifles, specifically on the Suba miniatures, are pretty thin, and I imagine pretty easy to snap those barrels off. Yeah, um, which is a bummer. Uh, I guess it's the price you pay for that super high level of detail. Um, something to be aware of. Well, as you mentioned, um, what you really get with Grey Escape Games is almost a one-stop shop, right? They have everything. So if you are really just like, look, click and collect, and they do have some great army deals that you can just buy a bundle and have it shipped. I know I've done that in the past. Um, They're great for that, and I do love Great Escape Games as far as customer service and quality of models. Um, As you say, um, they're very much for the tabletop. I absolutely but they are durable because of that. Um, right. But if you really want that Suba, anything you're missing, you can get from Great Escape Games as well. So it, it And as you say, they do work together. So yep. for those options in your army list that you need um, that may not be in the Suba miniatures range, boom, there you go. All set. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't mention this before about Great Escape Games, but their customer service is also fantastic. Uh, if that's something you care about, I think you should. Um, they're, they're a great company to do business with. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. And they don't pay me. In fact, I've never talked to them other than buying from them. Um, let's talk about, (laughs) um, now uh, one of the things that made these so rare on the table is a lot of people, and you hear this on some podcasts where people say, oh, well, Warlord doesn't make it. So they don't exist. No, I mean, Warlord does make the the wonderful game of bolt action. And yes, I do like to support Warlord, not only because I occasionally do their podcast, but also because they have put the time and the effort and the money into developing and continuing to support this game over time. Um, and if you're looking to make a Warlord Romanian army, um, as you as you could, as you said, if you go to Shapeways, you can get the helmets and you can combine them or you can sculpt those awesome furry hats um, using, as you said earlier, the German or the Soviet plastic gray coat models. You could even combine them um, because a gray coat often <clears throat> looks like a gray coat from a distance. Um, although I think the webbing would probably, I think your use of the German webbing would be better than the Soviet. Um, anything you want to add to that? Because I know we've talked about that a lot, but you really can have some cool conversion opportunities if you go that way. Yeah, it gives you all, all the options in plastic. Um, we've talked a lot about them having Soviet and, and German weapons and Panzerfaust. Those are all included in those kits. Um, and again, I, I mentioned this before, even buying the 3D printed helmets on top of the Warlord plastic mm-hmm. kit, you're still going to get a better value than buying your entire force in metal miniatures. Um, just the way the economics of it work. Uh, it will require a little bit more work. Um, for me, I had to chop off uh, the tops of a lot of German heads to get that helmet to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's doable and it's... It, it's not as bad as you might think. Um, so it, re- it really is a great option, especially to get the bulk of your infantry on the table. Um, one last thing I will say about going that route 
Uh, I chose the German winter kit. And what I noticed is, in general, the the figures in that kit are quite a bit bigger than most of the metal options yeah. uh, for Romania. Um, again, on the tabletop, it might not matter, but I would say that if you're going the Warlord conversion route, they will look pretty pretty big next to like Crusader, especially. Um, but even like Suba miniatures, they look pretty big. Uh, compared to those now i think the the winter soviet kit is slightly smaller not as bulky um so if that's something you care about that might be uh, a good way to go um but yeah the size difference is noticeable but again for your value for your money value it's a good way to go yeah the one concern though is if you're going with the Soviet grade kit, uh, grade co kit, if you already have a, a deep bits box as far as World War II gear goes, like some of us already do, because we have several bolt action armies, you might want to be careful because um, you won't have some of those German options, um, and you might have to do a little cutting um, to make some of the. Although you can actually make some of those really distinctive Romanian submachine guns using um, the the Soviet submachine gun kit, and if you just cut off the barrel and the um, the clip, the the drum clip, and put in uh, one from maybe uh, an MP40, then maybe you can start to convert some of those weapons out of plastic. Although that is a lot more hobby then uh, some people are willing to take on. I've seen some cool right. conversions of that. But yeah, you can definitely do that. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, just all good things to consider. Um, again, just kind of a recap. I think Warlord conversions is going to be your best uh, value uh, for your money. Uh, we'll take a little bit of, of extra work. Um, Great Escape Games is probably your best bet for a one-stop shop. Um, I would say you could get most of what you need for a Romanian army just through Great Escape Games, and they're a great company to work with. Um, Crusader goes really well with Great Escape Games, and they're super durable, and they're great to paint up. And then if you're really uh, into fine detail and spending a lot of time painting your miniatures, you can't go wrong with Suba. Yeah, man. Well, Jordan, this has been an exhaustive look at a really unknown nation as far as the bolt action tabletop is concerned. Thank you for taking the time and all the hard work that you put in, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, any final words for folks who are looking to look at Romanians or people maybe who play Romanians already? Um, any wise words as someone who's been spending a lot of time researching this, building armies, and then playing games with them as well? What, do you, what are your big thoughts on Romania? Or final thoughts? Yeah, uh, we've mentioned it a lot, but if you're someone who's coming into uh, the minor nations and, and looking for a good choice, and maybe you're someone who doesn't want to sacrifice uh, good rules and, and, and good options uh, for the tabletop to play a minor nation, you really can't go wrong with Romania. Um, they have such a, a, a great lineup of units and then all the help from... Uh, you know, they're German or Soviet allies, depending on which theater selector you choose. Um, there's a lot of options uh, for playability and unit variety and uh, hobbying. It's 
Uh, it's a really solid choice for a minor nation. Uh, and if you're someone that plays Romanians already, and maybe you haven't picked up the Fortress Budapest book, um, again, it's not it's not an army that can only be run one way, which I think some of the minor factions kind of fall into that category. Agreed. Um, so yeah, I would just say make sure you pick up the Fortress Budapest book to get you those extra units, uh, that allied theater selector, and... Uh, yeah, theme of mine is just there's many ways to play this army and uh, just have fun doing the research and, and making it your own. Now, I know that Osprey puts out some nice books, um, you know, that talk about gear and uniform and maybe some of the history. And I know there's other websites and places in your research. Uh, you did mention one extensive book on history of World War Two directly relating to Romanians. Is there anything that you would recommend that people check out if they are looking to go on a journey similar to yours? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Osprey has a book uh, on the Romanian military in World War Two. You haven't picked up an Osprey book, they're great. So many photographs and a lot of color panels if you're interested in finding out mm-hmm. you know, the perfect paint for your army. Um, but also has a really good uh, just summary of the history uh, of the battles and, and Romania as a whole in World War II. So that's a, a great resource. Um, also, there is uh, a page that I've referred to a lot for um, the game Flames of War. They have a really good write-up on the Romanian army in World War II. It's not really attached to their game. It's more of just a history in general. Um, but there's some really good photos in there, too. Um, you can find that. Just Google search Romania, uh, Flames of War, and it'll come right up. Um, that's a really good spot uh, to do some research. And if you can get that book, I, I believe it's called um, Third Axis, Fourth Ally. Um or second axis, third ally, something of that nature. Uh, again, it is expensive. I've tried to find it uh, for cheap. Cheapest I could find was about 150 US dollars. Mm. Um, so it's expensive, but I've heard it's very, very comprehensive. Nice. I'm actually Google searching Flames of War Romania as we speak. And yes, there is a great PDF in here. Fantastic, man. This is. Yeah, I, I haven't seen this. I'm going to download this right now. Cool. Thanks, man. And thank you again for making the time for coming on today. Uh, I think I've snuck all of my thoughts about Romania in over the course of this episode. And Jordan, you said it best, man. This is a great opportunity. If you're looking to get out of the same old, same old of some of the major nations, this is a cool minor to dig into and one that rightfully should probably be more uh, commonly seen on the tabletop given that they were, as you said, they contributed more troops than all of the other minor Axis powers combined in World War II. There were a lot of Romanian soldiers that fought, uh, and so you might expect uh, numerically to see a few more of them on the tabletop. Uh, But guys, check it out yourself. Please, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know a lot of people were asking that I do an army book review or I look into an army list like I had done a long time ago and like what we used to do on the Ghost Army podcast. And I think this is just uh, just a little taste of that. If you've enjoyed this episode or you have <laughs> comments about something that we've said, please go to Facebook and go to Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad, 
just remember, uh, sometimes it takes me a few hours to get to you because I am based in Australia and I do sleep occasionally, even in term four. But, guys, uh, when we start talking about the Facebook page, it's probably time to call it a day. Again, thank you very much for listening. I do really appreciate it. And thank you for all the kind messages that have come through recently asking about Melbourne's lockdown and asking about, um, I guess, requesting more Bolt Action content. Yes, there is more in the kitty, boys and girls. There is more coming. Don't you worry. But I guess at that point, it's time to quote our old buddy Casey when I say, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Stop.